Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we take a deep dive into biblical topics in a way that's easy to understand. If you would like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Let's Read the Bible Together reading plan. We also have that plan available on our website, Grove Dutcher. Fancy Nancy. Uh, So go ahead and download that plan, read along with us, uh, and then as you have questions, we want to answer them. And so... You, I would love for you to send us those questions. Uh, the other side, too, is that you don't have to be reading along with us to have questions to get answered, just so you know. If you are a listener of this podcast, first off, thank you for listening and staying engaged with us. Secondly, you are more than welcome to send in a question. Uh, we would love to take time as much as we can week over week at the end of our episodes to answer those questions. There's two ways that you can send those questions in. One is an email. The email address is info at grove.church. Uh, make sure to put in the subject line a podcast question. Or the second way is a direct message via the Facebook. Uh, we are the Grove Church in Washington State, uh, and you're more welcome to send us uh, a question in that, in that way, in a direct message. Yep. I was going to say you can slide into our DMs, but that was something I shouldn't have said because it can be a little bit funny but or yeah. awkward and inappropriate. Don't so, slide in. Don't slide in. Just send us a question. So, come, And you're welcome for that, listeners. For come, come before <laughs> our DMs with confidence. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> All right, listeners, we are in, this is a special week. I, yes. think, I think this is the only week it's going to happen, but it's I'm definitely... trying to remember if it has ever happened since I've been on this podcast. Well, so last year we kind of did one topic a week is kind of how we started. Yeah, so it was different. Yeah. So, but... But, the, but the year before that, we were literally taking and dissecting everything we were reading week over week yeah. and working through it. I don't remember since I've been a part of this podcast, uh, a, a situation like today where literally is this week we are reading one book. And, we're not and even, that's it. And we're not even finishing the book. No, not at we're, all. We're reading 30 chapters, or sorry, 20 chapters of Jeremiah, yes. chapters 13 through 33. There is nothing else that we're reading this week. Buckle in. And it's 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 a good book. Don't, it's don't, a great book. Yeah, My don't, goodness. Don't be afraid. This isn't going to be like reading, you know, genealogies for, for an entire week. Like Jeremiah is very interesting. There's a ton that's happening and we're yeah. going to, we're going to take you through it. So yeah, this will be. I really wish we could take literally a month working through this book. Well, we're going to take like three weeks. Well, but I mean, literally working through it where instead of like giving you the deep over or the big overview, it's literally like, let's walk through some of these nuances, some of these nuances, but uh, there's just so much to it. So I I remember reading this book and studying this book in 2019. And I told Evan this morning before we started recording, I said, Bro, there's so much to this chat this week. It's not even funny. So uh, I'm going to let him lead, take the reins because I get too caught up in the details sometimes. So Well, I'm excited because like I've read through Jeremiah before, um, but this is my first real deep dive into it because like you said, 2019, you did a big study on it. So you kind of took point. And then the last time we did Jeremiah, I believe you also took point on that week as well. So this this year is my first time really kind of studying Jeremiah, reading along with it. So it's been it's been good. I yeah. really enjoy it. All right. Well, without further ado, let's jump in. So we are going over the 20 chapters. There's a ton that happens and then, but we'll see how it, you know, Jeremiah kind of breaks up pretty well. So there's smaller chunks that we can go over what's happening in each of them. Um, So chapters 13 through 20 continue uh, prophecy of Judah's coming destruction. You'll remember that from last week. That's a big theme. Uh, He doesn't really let off the gas. (laughs) Like it's a, it's a, this is a big deal up until kind of the very end of the reading is where we start getting to some other things. Um, Chapter 13 opens with the metaphor of a loincloth. So Jeremiah is kind of a weird one. It's true. Listen, the things that God asks his prophets to do are not always going to make sense, but there's always a deep point to it. Yeah. And if you don't know what a loincloth is, just think, you know, Tarzan, right? That's what he's wearing. Yeah. Uh, So Jeremiah or Gollum in The Lord of the Rings, just to bring that in, because I haven't referenced that in a while. It's been a long time. Yeah. Uh, Jeremiah is commanded to purchase one and hide it by the Euphrates. 
uh, which I put is pretty far, is pretty darn far away. <laughs> like, yeah, it's not like, oh, I'll walk down to the river and then put it there. No, no, he's, he's an, on a trek. He's on a journey to yep. get there. So there's a couple things that put in the, a few different options in the notes are that Jeremiah actually traveled like the hundreds of miles to the Euphrates. Actually, the Euphrates, the Euphrates river is in, oh, I shouldn't have started that sense without knowing. I believe it's in Northern modern day Iraq and but I could be totally wrong on that. Aaron, I don't know. Ah, shoot. Fertile Crescent. Think basically where- Listen, you are the walking encyclopedia. I'm not, okay? Take yourself back to, take yourself back to high school. Think of the Fertile Crescent, ancient Mesopotamia, Northern Assyria, the Tigris and the Euphrates are the twin rivers that kind of create this area where a bunch of farming is possible. That's where it is. Western central Iraq. Western. Yes. Let's go. Uh, Again, reinforcing my point. You are the walking encyclopedia. Thanks. Um, even though I get stuff wrong all the time. But it's uh, there's a couple different options that are given. One could be that Jeremiah straight up actually goes and he does this. Another one could be that this is a vision. And so he's – because we see that a few times in Jeremiah where he he's given a vision of doing things. Um, and the other one could be that there's a uh, – basically if one letter changes, it's a different river that is about five miles away from where Jeremiah would live as opposed to the Euphrates. Um, so it could be that that got jumbled at some point, but I, you know, I take it at face value. Like why not? He goes to the Euphrates. So here we go. Um, and then he's commanded to go bury it and then he dig it up again after a few days. He does that. The loincloth is spoiled. It's all gross now. And God says, that's what he's going to do to Judah. Yay. And it's one of those things where it's like, <laughs> if I was Jeremiah, it's like, you, you really, I had to go all the way here. Just like, you know, you couldn't have me just leave it outside for a night. But here we, here we are. Well, and I, I would say this. Remember back to last week. Um, I think you said it or I said it. One of us said it. I'm, I'm hoping. Um, but Jeremiah is a prophet who's prophesying to a people that don't repent. Yeah. Like, they, they, they rebel, they ignore him. So Jeremiah is literally his, everything he's saying falls on deaf ears of God's people. Uh, and so when God, like you see this image of a loincloth and God said, Hey, I'm going to take, this is what's going to happen to Judah. Um, it's, it, it doesn't mean that Jeremiah isn't being obedient, fulfilling and success. I mean, in his call, but at the end of the day, God's people reject all of it. Well, <laughs> they don't listen to anything. I mentioned this theme last week that I did. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm being careful with my words here because I'm just kind of reading and looking for it. Um, but last week I did not spot any, any area where um, the Lord said that he would re relent from judgment if they repented. So there's calls to basically serve God, but nowhere in Jeremiah. And this is the same thing with here. So in the first half of the book, there's nowhere where God's like, Hey, if you come back to me, I will relent from this disaster. And that's also a major theme that's missing from the other prophetic books. Because in the earlier prophetic books, that is very much the point. Yeah. It's like, hey, this is coming, but you can stop it. And Jeremiah, it's basically like, this is coming. It's going to suck real bad. Yeah. <laughs> and then, but after- Sorry, not sorry. Yeah. But we'll get to, there is a message of hope a little bit later. Uh, after that, God basically tells Judah that they've been acting no better than drunkards. So a little bit of an interesting aside there. And then we break into a poetic section talking about what the exile will look like uh, using some of the same metaphors that have been used before. So you, it's, a, it's a common theme that kind of breaks up, but this is uh, just a few verses here, starting in uh, verse 23 of chapter 13. Uh, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then also you can do good who are accustomed to evil. I will scatter you like chaff driven by the wind from the desert. This is your lot. The portion I have measured out to you declares the Lord because you have forgotten me and trusted in lies. 
I myself will lift up your skirts over your face and, sh- and your shame will be seen. That's the metaphor I was talking about that's been used before. Mm-hmm. Um, I have seen your abominations, your adulteries, your nangs, your lewd whorings on the hills in the field. Woe to you, O Jerusalem. How long will it be until you are made clean? And so it's kind of talking about, I thought it was really interesting. The first verse, what's he talking about? He's talking about immutable characteristics of people. Well, mm-hmm. not people, animals do. So when he says, can the Ethiopian change his skin? It's the whole idea of like, can I walk outside and change my skin color if I just concentrate really hard? Nope. Like nope. I guess I can tan, I guess, but like there's not, you know what I mean? I can't like all of a sudden change that. Yeah. But you don't have control over changing is also that point too. Yeah, that's true. You can tan, but you're not the one changing it. Yeah, that's right? true. That's the sun. Um, so that's the other side of it is like, you can't, like you can't change anything. Like- only God can. Yeah. And it's just like the leopard can't walk outside and like, you know, shake his spots off. Yeah. You know, it looks really cool. Tigers. I'm going to get, I'm going to get that coat instead. Like, no, <laughs> great. But what, and so it's kind of, you know, it's fine to think about and laugh at, but it is kind of sad that what God's point here is that, yeah, just like you can't change your skin, just like an animal can't change its coat. Uh, you can't change the fact that you're evil. Like this mm-hmm. is, you're, you're basically irredeemable is what yeah. he's getting at. With well, and it, and it alludes to sin and it's not even necessarily saying, I, maybe I'm. I, I want to. Maybe I'm trying to look at it from the optimistic standpoint, but it's, it's a, it's a deep recognition and uh, um, spotlight, pun intended, I guess, with the spot filter, but <laughs> um, on on their inability to redeem and save themselves, they can't do it. And as much as they think, and so that's part of the rebellion is like, oh, we'll figure it out. We'll we'll make everything right. We'll take care of it. Uh, God is calling them out for what they are. You are sinful. You are broken. You are evil. Apart from me, you cannot be redeemed. And so that that's part of the tension he's creating too. Well, yeah, shame shame on me for not thinking gospel filter there. But that's a very good point. Is kind of the, we it's that theme is explored in Romans three mm-hmm. uh, three twenty three. And you're going to see it's going to be. I mean, you're going to see it interluded or interluded interwoven uh, throughout all of Jeremiah. Like there's so, and this is why I was like I was saying earlier. Like there's just so much to this book that is gospel rooted. It's incredible. Um, and so I, I, I'm not going to jump in all the time, but I just think that that's part of that. It is, mm-hmm. it is this illusion to the fact like you're rebelling against me thinking you're going to figure it all out and be okay. You're not, you can't get, you can't find redemption without me. And, and so that's what he's saying. So that's why there is the judgment and the wrath coming. Well, and feel free to jump in, Aaron, because again, we're in, we're in one book and also full disclosure <laughs> listeners, I'm feeling pretty sick right now. So something's been going around. So Feel no, feel no guilt about jumping in with your I, thoughts. I think I'm six feet apart, so. Yeah, we got a good distance going. Plus we got the pop filters in between yeah, us. Yeah, I'm, I'm literally like breathing only through this filter. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right. Well, chapter 14 begins with another poetic section detailing not just the coming conquest of Babylon, but also the famine and the pestilence that will be in the land at that time. So it's not just that there's warriors coming in with destruction, it's that nature itself is kind of rising up against Judah here. Um, And it ends with Yahweh once again commanding Jeremiah to not pray for the people of Judah, which is those Rough. those sections are the are kind of the freakiest ones where he's like, also if you're thinking about praying for their deliverance, stop it. I'm Just not don't. Gonna, he's a bit, yeah. I guess he doesn't say don't do it. He's saying I'm not going to listen, so don't bother. <laughs> like why are you like nothing's going to change? Uh, and there's also a section deriding the false prophets who who speak against God's true word. They'll come up later, but during this time, it's a theme that kind of go it goes a little bit underexplored hmm. during the late. Uh, the late period of Israel's monarchy, so before the um, before the fall of Jerusalem the first time. But while the prophets are doing their thing, there's a bunch of false prophets around who are just like, ah, no, everything's going to be great. We're, Ju- we're Jerusalem. We're God's chosen yeah. people. Nothing bad's going to happen to us. And Jeremiah's like, 
who the heck are you? <laughs> like what? This is not. Yeah. So there's a whole, there's a whole thing. Oh yeah. Uh, well, like I said, it comes up a bunch. So we'll talk about it here in a little well, bit. Well, and you've got a, you've got a plethora of voices saying everything's going to be okay. And you've got Jeremiah on this, like, no, it's not. And so it's easy as a, as a crowd, as a, as a member, like I can even see it as a, in my own life. Like I would listen to multiple voices over one voice any day. Um, but there is this like, this, this reality that they're being led astray. So, mm-hmm. Well, chapter 15, uh, the hope doesn't go up at all. Uh, so no. it returns us to the not so fun theme that Yahweh will not be relenting from this judgment. And this was, I thought it was kind of interesting. Moses and Samuel seem to have interceded in some way to no avail. So this either could be just kind of poetic and saying like, even if Moses and Samuel asked me to relent, I wouldn't relent. Um, but the way it's written, I mean, it seems to actually mean that like God is having has had a conversation with both Moses and Samuel where they have asked for mercy on the people and, and God's like, no, like we're done here. Yeah. And it's not outside the the possibility of that because you see even in the transfiguration, right. Moses and Elijah where they're hanging out with Jesus and talking and, you know, we don't know what they were talking about, but because um, we only get Peter's side of it, but uh, there is possibility here. So, yep. Either way, judgment is coming. <laughs> yep. uh, in the latter half of the chapter, Jeremiah complains to the Lord that the people were against him. Uh, which I mean, yeah, that's kind of what it means to be a prophet. <laughs> but I don't know, it is kind of like I we joked about it with um, Haggai and Zechariah and Malachi, where like they do their prophecy and the people actually listen. They're like, oh yeah, and then you can just imagine Jeremiah up in heaven being like, where? Come on, <laughs> where it's was the, this? It's the tapping of the mic. Is this thing on? Yeah, but hello. Honestly, like the, those three are the exception mm-hmm. to the rule for the most part. Israel's prophets were not listened to. Like, I mean, think of Elijah and Elisha. They do amazing miracles. Individual people listen at one, once in a while, but the nations as a whole do not. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the only ones I can really think of are like Isaiah, um, where Hezekiah at least listens to him, which is great. Nathan, David listens to him for the most part. So there's a couple, but yeah. it's definitely the majority of the prophets that we have, especially the ones who wrote books of the Bible, the The majority of them are, yeah, then the people don't listen. So yep. that's kind of a bummer. And if they listen, it's for a short time. Yeah, it's And true. they fall right back into their cycles. Yep. Looking at you, Nineveh. Come on. <laughs> uh, and then he even hints that he's been tricked somehow. So God rebukes Jeremiah for this, and he reminds him that he, uh, to only speak what is true about his character. So basically, Jeremiah's like, you deceived me. You tricked me into this whole thing. And then God's like, yeah, that's a little bit too far, bud. Let's uh, calm down. Rain it in. Yeah, rain it in. Rain it in there, buddy. Uh, and, and to Jeremiah's credit, he listens. He actually yeah. he gets rebuked a few times yeah. in the book, but every well, time he well, listens. And I'll be honest, I love that about Jeremiah. I love that we get to get a glimpse of his frustration with God's call on his life as a prophet. Um because it just shows his humanity. And I think sometimes we come into like our own lives where it's like, well, I can't question God. No, Jeremiah did. And you can't quite, you got to be careful with the arrogance, the intent of the heart. But there's a certain level of honesty that God God delights in, I would I would say. Yeah. Uh, and so I, th- I think that's the human side that I actually enjoy reading about Jeremiah. Sometimes he's like, you, you are a trickster. You, 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 you promised something like, and so I just love that. And then God, God doesn't hold punches. He reigns it back in. Yep. And then the humility to respond, I think, is really good too. But well, I, I just love the humanity. I think we see all throughout Scripture too the idea explored of it is we can question um, God in the sense of like I just don't understand why this is happening. God yeah. help me to understand because um, you see it with Jeremiah where he questions a bunch and he doesn't get rebuked every time. When he gets rebuked is when um, he questions God's character. God's character. It reminds me of Job. Where yeah. the, the the whole dialogue of Job is just like, I don't understand why this is happening. I can't wrap my hand around it. And then he starts to say, 
essentially like God is unjust, like God is coming after me. Like if he, if he, if he knew what was going on, he was, and all of a sudden God's like, okay, now you've gone too far. And the whole end of the book is Job repenting for, uh, I shouldn't say the whole end, but that's a massive part of the end yeah. there. God answers and calls him out. Who are you to, to, to question me? Yeah. So I guess it's important for us that like we can seek the Lord and pray and we should seek the Lord and pray when we don't understand things, when, when life is hard and we don't understand why things happen, but we also have to be very careful to not, um, go so far in that where we just question the nature and character of God mm-hmm. as well. Cause that, that is where um, his anger is kindled. So, yep. yeah. which is also a reason why we should be staying regularly involved and engaged with God's word. Mm-hmm. So we don't, so we aren't misled in our anger and our frustration to question God's character. And he's, he's, he's patient. He's loving. He's kind. His kindness will lead us to repentance, but he's also going to, he's also going to be very blunt and honest. Mm-hmm. So, Anyways. Well, chapter 16 is pretty hopeful as far as Jeremiah goes. Uh, so it details once again the coming destruction of Jerusalem, but it's also, you know, there's a promise that Israel is not forgotten. Hey. So there you go. You're telling me there's a chance. So you're saying there's a chance. Uh, chapter 17 lists specific, specific sins of Judah, such as where they place their trust. So we're going to read a few verses here. This is verses 5 through 8 of chapter 17. It says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in, a de- in the desert and shall not see any any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for the leaves for its leaves remain green and is not anxious about the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Um, and so... You know, we've, we've talked about like, there's these major themes of Israel's history where it's, I think one of them is that they want to be like other nations. And we see that kind of ultimately come to a close. And and, and by the end of the monarchical, uh, the monarchy period of Israel, they basically are no different from the other nations. Um, but the other one, and I would say even the bigger one, is the fact that they they do not trust in God. And mm-hmm. even the good kings, like how do they fail? That's usually how they fail. Like Jehoshaphat. Um, comes to mind, Hezekiah comes to mind, where it's these great kings who absolutely lead the people in worship of Yahweh, but when they fail, it's specifically because they don't trust in God to defend Israel and Judah. Yeah. And from from a historical, completely secular standpoint, it makes sense. Because again, if you look at a map of the ancient world, <laughs> Israel is this really tiny blip in the middle of like sandwich between massive empires. Like it's, it's just kind of this, it's a small little area. There's a few small kingdoms there. And then you've got the Hittites, the Assyrians and the Egyptians completely surrounding them. And so it makes sense that the Kings thought to themselves, okay, well, we need to make some alliances. We have to figure out how we're going to play these guys off of each other. So if we can survive, but God is saying, no, that's not your job. Like that is my job is to make sure you're safe. Like your job is to lead the people in worship of me. Mm -hmm. And and oftentimes they fail. Uh, Chapter 18 gives us a powerful metaphor of a potter. So I, I love these. I love these sections. They're really good. Um, but it's w- basically Jeremiah sees a potter working on a vessel and then he he makes a mistake. And so now the vessel that he was making isn't going to be, it's not going to be possible to be created anymore. But instead of just taking the whole thing and throwing it out, what does he do? He reworks it into something else. And so God says that that is what he's going to do with Israel, that Israel is never going to be the thing that it could have been mm-hmm. in the sense of under under David, united kingdom, worshiping Yahweh, set apart. That dream is gone, but 
God is not throwing everything away. He's going to rework it into something else. Um, I just think that's a beautiful metaphor, even for us today. That, um, yeah, agreed. For, yeah, for for so many of us, like the the lives that we dreamed of, <laughs> that we dreamed of, aren't going to happen. Um, we've made mistakes in our lives, but God doesn't throw us out. God reworks it into something else. So really helpful. Um, but I also put uh, the potter's metaphor, giveth and taketh away, because <laughs> in chapter 19, uh, God tells Jeremiah to take a potter's flask and break it apart. So basically, hey, go buy something from the potter. And Jeremiah's like, go oh, smash is, it. Yeah, go smash it. He's like, what? And then basically he's like, yeah, see how that broke apart and it can't be repaired? That's what I'm going to do to Judah. <laughs> so oh, sad. Yeah. So basically, yeah, the, essentially it's talking about the tribes of Israel and Judah being scattered and they can't be mended again, which we, we also do see where Israel... Um, comes back and it exists, but it's not going to be in that way again. And the the tribes, some of the tribes are lost, um, and the, the the people groups are never going to be able to completely re rebind the way that they were. In chapter twenty, the uh, the priest Pashur persecutes Jeremiah. Uh, it reminds me a bit of the priest who spoke to the king against Amos. So if you remember, there Amos is prophesying, and then one of the priests gets in the ear of the king. He's like, hey, listen, this Amos guy, he's going a little bit too far, king. Don't worry about it. And then Amos basically calls down curses from God on him. Uh, well, yeah, Jeremiah doesn't exactly take it too well. Uh, and he says, and this is in 20 verses 7 through 8, Oh, Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. You are stronger than I, and you have prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all the day. Everyone mocks me. For whenever I speak, I cry out. I shout violence and destruction, for the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and derision all day long. And so essentially what Jeremiah is getting at here is like his message isn't particularly hopeful. Mm -hmm. And so the people who already probably wouldn't have listened to him if he had the message of, hey, this is coming and repent, otherwise it's coming. Uh, now his message is just, hey, destruction's coming. And if the people are like, oh, how do we avoid it? He's like, oh, you can't. Like, it's, it's <laughs> I just want to let you know that this is happening. So he has a, a particularly hopeless message when it comes to the prophets, which is a bummer. Mm -hmm. um, so I, and then the people, they don't take it, they don't take it kindly. Jeremiah's yeah. not, they're not a fan. Well, and I, I mean, this is probably, chapter 20 has probably one of my favorite verses of all time uh, in the entire book of Jeremiah. And you totally just skipped it. You, and so uh, I told you earlier, I was going to call you out on it. Sorry, but, Aaron. Uh, no, I love it. I mean, it's coming out, it's verse nine is what it is. So coming out of that uh, reproach and derision all day long, he says this, uh, he says, I say, I won't mention or speak any longer in his name, referring to God. He's not going to, in essence, he's saying, because you've deceived me, because you've done these things, I'm not going to talk about you anymore. I'm done. Like I, I'm, I, I'm throwing in the tower. I'm, you know, to, to bring it to modern day, like I'm resigning. You do your thing. I'm going to go do mine. I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore, which isn't really true. Uh, but he's just reacting, right? And this is the humanity. I think that part of the reason why I probably love the book of Jeremiah is because I can resonate with his emotional outbursts. <laughs> He's on a roller coaster. Um, he, he he has absolutely highs and lows, highs and lows, and a lot more lows than highs, let's just be honest. Uh, but then he says this, uh, continuing in verse 9, he says, but his message becomes a fire burning in my heart. And this is, some of us may know the verse, but like, shut up in my bones. I become tired of holding it in and I cannot prevail. Uh, and, and so he just talks about this idea like, yes, God, this is, you, you've deceived me, but at the end of the day, I also recognize that your word is like a fire shut up inside my bones. It's another translation and I, and I cannot contain it. Uh, and so he understands that call uh, that, that he, he, he's been given and he understands the value of it. And, uh, and the other thing I like about chapter 20, um, there's a couple things here that uh, as I was looking through my notes from 2019, that just struck me and are, are such a great reminder um, is, and this isn't necessarily going to be totally revealed in the passage here, but it is something that's very much drawn out throughout the entirety of the book and in light of the gospel itself. 
Uh, but it shows that these these queries of uh, of Jeremiah's to the Lord, um, it, it it teaches a lesson about suffering and the idea that suffering can place uh, a doubt of existence on a person's existence. Suffering can cause question about the sovereignty and providence of God. Um, but the thing that I loved about that was written in the in the in the commentary that I was studying through, uh, which is the one I refer to all the time, the preaching the word series uh, by Kent Hughes. So Kent, if you ever listen to this. Great job on that series. Um, but it's, it's that suffering never has the final word. Uh, and so even in the midst of Jeremiah, even in the midst of the wrath coming and all of the, the negative and all of the, the, the heavy that Jeremiah is called to preach and called to speak on behalf of God's people, suffering never has the final word. It's actually God's grace that always has the final word. Uh, and so one of the things that we, we will see and can continue to see that even shows up in Jeremiah chapter 20 here is this idea of of God's grace having the final word because it's not. At the end of the day, it's not. I mean, he even says it in verse nine, I can't contain it. I can't hold it back because God's word is shut up in me like a, like a fire. And I think that there's something valuable and powerful to that too. Um, the other thing I like about at the end of the chapter is you see Jeremiah start tracing all of his troubles back to his womb. Like he says at the very end of the chapter, I'm not going to read all of it, uh, but he says, starting in verse 14, may the day I was born be cursed, which I'm surprised you didn't highlight this section. Yeah, that's a fair uh, point. May the day my mother bore me never be blessed. May the man be cursed who brought the news to my father saying a male child was born to you, bringing him great joy. Like he's literally drawing back and reflecting on his life and saying, man, that was a miserable day. <laughs> uh, and it just shows like he is in like this deep, dark, like, frustrated, lonely, defeated place of like, he's even calling into question his birth. That wasn't a joyful day. Lord, knowing what I know now, that was a horrendous day. And, and I love that he traces it all back. But then again, the thing that I love in light of the gospel is this idea that he didn't go far enough back. Um, and this again is stolen from Kent Hughes, but he traced all of his troubles back to his, to his, the womb. And, and, and what Kent has written in the commentary is that he doesn't go far enough back because God can traces promises back to before the womb. Uh, and there's just this beautiful tension that I think is so profound. And I think Jeremiah understands and wrestles with some of this, uh, but it's he he's wrestling with the mocking. He's wrestling with the persecution. He's wrestling with the, the reputation he has as probably one of the only voices in Israel at the time that is actively challenging people to pursue the Lord, to respond to God's grace. Uh, but because they haven't, all he gets to communicate is there's wrath coming. Yep. Um, and so Jeremiah's like, why did you give me this message? It literally brings up the question like, God, why did you create me for today? Like, I mean, how many times have I had to think through that? Or like of all times in the history of the world, why 2022 or why fill in the blank? Um, and there's just this beautiful tension that even Jeremiah, if he, he may not have asked that exact question, but I know he was wrestling with the same premise there too. And so, um, so we just see in chapter 20, this rawness and this total human, uh, human, human level frustration of the defeat, the despair and, and the depth that he's in. So well, to paraphrase Gandalf, um, <laughs> you know, when Frodo asks, I wish this had never fallen to me, he says, so do all who wish to, who live to see such times, but all we can decide is what to do with the time that has been given us. Um, but the, yeah, I- Listen, I'll take God's words over Gandalf's Absolutely. <laughs> um, no, I think like, I'm assuming, yeah, it, it is funny that you mentioned that I didn't highlight the things, because I guess I, in my heart, I should have, because uh, it, it is very Jobian, where like, when you see- now, is that a word? That's the question. I don't know. We'll have to find out. It's very Job-like. Kathy, Josh, what do you say? Um, but it's, ve it's very much 
when Job's whole family dies when he loses everything and his lament, Job 3 is one of like the saddest chapters in the Bible. And what's the whole thing? It's cursing the day that he was born, it's wishing mm-hmm. that never happened. And so Jeremiah, we can see he's in that same headspace that Job was in where yeah. he's just... And, and here's the thing. I, I We made a little bit of fun of Jeremiah, but this would suck. Yeah, absolutely. Being, like being... being and I, I think you're right. He is the one prophet <laughs> at this time, because this is post-Josiah, um, if he's not the only prophet, he's one of like a handful, literally a handful of people who are actively speaking that that we need to repent yeah. and turn back to God. No one's listening to him. He's a man on an island. Um, that would the life and call of Jeremiah would be incredibly painful and incredibly lonely. Yeah. And it makes sense that he is just depressed about it. Yeah. And and I would say like draw to like a very quick, easy application for today. Like th- there's been moments where even in my life, I I question like, God, really, why did you create me? And and I don't, I mean, take it for what it's worth. But even if you're like, if you're listening today and you're wondering that same question, I almost feel like Caleb right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do want to encourage you, like there there's something incredible about suffering has has some influence, but it doesn't have the last word. It's God's grace. In the midst of even this, we may not see it now, but there's hope in the midst of Jeremiah because of God, because of what he got, who God is and what God does. He's faithful to his promises that that happened long before you were born, that were spoken long before you were born, just like Jeremiah in the same tension. Uh, and so I think that that's some of the hope we can draw from it. Um, and, and so before Evan uh, continues in Jeremiah, we do want to stop in, in in this portion of our podcast and just say, do us a, if you'll do us a favor and just leave us a, a rating, leave us a review on podcast, uh, either Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Uh, we would love for you to do that. Uh, I'm really I'm really excited today because uh, I told Evan earlier on this month. I said this month we're hitting 100 ratings in Spotify. We are currently sitting at 98 right now on oh, Spotify. Man. Uh, we're 87 on Apple Podcasts. And so uh, the other thing too is like we got an email uh, today or this week and Evan told me about it, I think last weekend. Uh, we have officially reached 100,000 downloads of our podcast, which these are incredible. These are incredible, incredible things. And so uh, the biggest thing is thank you, thank you, thank you for allowing us to to have a conversation and you be part of it and you liked it enough and downloaded it enough to uh, to kind of help us reach uh, some, some pretty cool milestones here in the podcast. Uh, world, I guess, if you can say that. But I also want to say this very, like, I want, I'd be so rad if October, at the end of October, which we are currently uh, in the middle of, it'd be so rad if in the next couple of weeks we have 100. Uh, and so October 2022 could be the the year of 100, where it's 100,000 downloads, 100 pod, Spotify rating, uh, five-star ratings, uh, and 100 ap- Apple podcast ratings. And so I would love if you would take a moment, join us with the 100. I literally feel like I'm pitching things, uh, but it's such a rad thing. And so it was so fun to see those emails, to see us so close to these ratings. Uh, thank you if you're, uh, for staying with us and engaging. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, welcome. We're glad you're part of the community. We'd love for you to jump on, leave us a review and rating. Uh, so just want to say that real quick. Uh, Evan, you, you take it away now. Lead us through the rest of Jeremiah. Yeah, if for if for nothing else, just the synergy of the hundreds is great, dude. It's so rad. All right, so chapters twenty one through twenty five are sort of a tonal shift, um, kind of like they still fo- focus on the coming destruction, but instead of kind of being about the people of Judah and the city of Jerusalem, these chapters are really concerned with the leaders who are in place. Um, so. The people inquire to Jeremiah if God is going to save them. So it's like, hey, you know, Babylon, they look pretty scary. <laughs> but like, you know, God's delivers us before. So he's going to do that again. Right, Jeremiah? Uh, and then Jeremiah's answer is like, no, God's actually going to help ne- Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> like, like what? He's like, yeah, no, like he's going to like make it even worse for you. Like he's going to, he's he, Nebuchadnezzar. 
it's it's really interesting. Nebuchadnezzar is referred to as uh, my servant, <laughs> like God calls yeah. him my servant, Nebuchadnezzar, yep. um, which if you remember, and we'll talk about it, especially when we get into Daniel, um, calling Nebuchadnezzar God's servant is a bit of a stretch, but that's kind of where, that's where we're at, that that, that is how God views him right now. That's He's going to use... He's going to use the yep. king of Babylon uh, against, and this is Zedekiah, who is the final king of Judah. So, yeah, bummer. bummer. Yeah, right. Uh, and then who asked you, anyways, Jeremiah? And there's even a personal address from Yahweh to the house of David specifically, saying that he is against him, so, which is huge. Yes, because remember, huge. yeah, God has been really long suffering with the house of David, and it's basically just been off the back of you know David being. A, great, a bonehead, yeah, a, yeah, a bull of bonehead, but also like a great king, who he was a great true, he was truly, a great king until his bonehead moment. True, uh, but but even even there, like, and I think this is where it's important for us to say, like, David had his failings, but God truly loves him because oh, he, I shouldn't say loves, but he exalts David because David had a heart after God and and repented even in the midst of his and and, and in the midst of his terrible sin. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And things that committed. Um but even af- after David, there's only a few kings who are really like that. There's Hezekiah, there's Josiah, you can put um maybe like Jehoshaphat and Asa and some of them into that category as well. Um but for the most part God has been incredibly long suffering with the house of yeah. David in the midst of all of their failure and now is he's like no, we're done here. Yep. All right. Just a bummer. Yay. Um, after that, there is a message to the sons of Josiah directly. Um, so remember that Josiah was the last great king and the last good king of Judah. Um, and like so many of them, his sons just failed miserably, yeah. which is kind of like- but, but to be clear, Josiah was the last great king. Yes. He wasn't a good king. I, I want to make sure, because we do a lot of rankings right. with the king. So I, want, I don't want to mix terms there. Josiah was- I think we've already had this, arguably greater than David. Arguably, yeah. Um, and, I, and I've and i finally arrived at that point um, where I, I can say that confidently. Like Josiah is probably the one righteous king <laughs> in, in David's history, in David's line, and in, in all of, I guess, all of Israel and Judah's line. Josiah yeah. was the greatest king apart from Christ. So yeah, when I say anyways, he was he's last, a great king. Yeah, when I say he was the last good or great king, what I mean is that there wasn't a good king after Josiah. So he wasn't just the last great king. He was also the last king who didn't suck. Completely. And that's good. And that's good clarity too. I just want to make sure we're not mixing terms. So that way it's like, yeah. well, wait, you said anyways, because I, I always refer back to that list that, we, that you created that I chimed in on. So. That's a good time. You're welcome. Um, but it, it is interesting to me where I think, I think it's pretty much inarguable that the three greatest kings of Judah are David, Josiah, and Hezekiah. Not and in that what, order. Yeah, whatever order you put them in. Like I think me and Aaron agree that it would, be, it would go Josiah, David, Hezekiah, yes. probably. Agreed. Um, but all three of them, their sons, just you know, fail. Wet so the bad. bed. Yes. It's so bad. That's so like, a nice way of saying it. Yeah. Like like Solomon <laughs> is the best yeah. of the, and he sucks. <laughs> like yeah. Solomon was not great. Um, he starts off strong. But you have that happens. Hezekiah is his son is Manasseh, who is just the worst, and we've talked about him. And then Josiah. <laughs> All of his sons, like they just, yeah, immediately Jerusalem just, I shouldn't say immediately, but within like a a couple of years, Judah just falls apart. And so it is interesting to me that the three greatest kings of Judah, all three have sons who ruin their legacy within the next generation. Mm -hmm. It's it's nuts. Um, In chapter 23, Jeremiah points to a future member 
of the house of David. So let's read these and see if that if this sounds familiar. Uh, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will, Israel will dwell securely. And by this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Oh, man. I can see. Sounds how, like a good day coming. Yeah, I can see. And here's the thing: sometimes when we read the Gospels, we really get on the people about how, like, yeah, this is Jesus; he's the Christ. Come on, how do you not see this coming? I get reading this and being like confused by <laughs> confused by what <laughs> Jesus does because the the work that Christ accomplished here on Earth is is far better than than what the people of Israel were hoping for with this political Messiah. But mm-hmm. again, I understand how you're reading these these verses and that's what you come away thinking. So, yeah. Well, the crazy thing is too, fast forward to the gospels, like even after Christ dies, raises again and meets with his disciples, one of the first things the disciples ask, are you now going to usher in your kingdom? Yeah, true. And, and so they still like, there's still this lack of, you know, all the way through human history, there's still, and even today we wrestle with it, but there's still this, this, this limited understanding of what's at play. Uh, and so this is where I think we can draw the hope in Jeremiah. We can, in moments like this, you see God still alluding to the future hope that that, that we all have access to uh, of the coming Messiah, that there is still hope. So this is where you like go back to like God's grace gets the last word because there's a, someone coming that's better. And so, uh, but it is, it's interesting that I think um, even the disciples after he rose again, <laughs> still asking that very same politically charged question, yep. are you going to usher in your kingdom now? Well, it's easy for us because we live under the new covenant where it's a, it's a very, I'm trying to think how to figure it. It's a very spiritually minded covenant in the sense that it's about our own personal salvation. The old covenant was very connected to the land that yes. was Israel. And so I, th- I think it's hard for us. Promised to, land. Yep. yep. I think it's hard for us sometimes to put our put our our heads in that spot where the ancient Israelites, when they think of covenant, they think specifically the land and the people of Israel. Mm-hmm. And so when when Christ comes, it not only changes the covenant from a new from an old one to a new one, it changes the very nature of the covenant because it's now no longer about um, the specifically how God deals with the people of Israel yep. and the nation of Israel. It's about how God deals with the human race. Yeah, good point. All right, so the rest of chapter three is a rebuke of the false prophets of Judah. Chapter 23. 23, sorry, yep. We're going all the way back. Uh, and God is clearly angry at the treachery of those who claim to speak for him. Chapter 24 jumps ahead to Jeconiah or Jehoiakim. Uh, boy, Jeconiah is way easier to say. I got to say, come on, Chronicles. I like Jehoiakim. It's, it's more fun to say. Oh, man. Or Jehoiachin. I've heard it that way before, but that sounds, that feels That's wrong. That's not right. Yeah, that feels wrong. Uh, so anyways, Jehoiakim is living in captivity. Uh, Jeremiah sees a vision of good figs and bag, bad, bag, fit, bad Figs. Bag figs. Oh my gosh. He sees good figs and bag figs. Bad bag figs. Bag figs are not good. I can't speak today at all. Uh, the good figs represent the mercy that Yahweh will have on those who are going into exile, while the bad figs represent the suffering coming for those who remain, which is kind of an interesting line to be drawn here. But it, it, it does kind of hold true where we don't really hear that much about the Israelites who stay. Yeah, and when it's we true. when we do in Ezra, um, it's pretty much about how they've all messed up and they're all intermarrying and they need to, and it needs to be corrected. But most of the Israelites that we read about in the post-exilic period are, in the case of Esther, it's the ones who are living in Persia and they stayed there. Mm-hmm. In the case of Ezra and Nehemiah, it's the ones who lived in Persia 
and came back. And I guess I should say in Daniel, it's the ones who live in Babylon yeah. and stay there as yeah, well. Yeah. So those are the ones that we meet. Uh, chapter 25 jumps us back in time a few years. So this one is with God reminding the people of Judah that he has offered them the opportunity to escape this judgment multiple times. And so this is where I was reading it. And I was like, oh, here it is. Here's the spot where God says, if you re- if you repent, I will relent from this disaster. No, he's quoting himself. <laughs> so Because like, I, I almost wrote it down. I was like, oh, here it is. Listen, Finally. But what, what it is, the whole, con- the whole context of it is, did I not say to you? And then he says, like, if you basically, if you repent, I will relent from disaster. And then right after he finishes saying that, he's like, but that's not the case anymore. So good job reading in context. I know. You know, you got it all. You almost got me there, Jeremiah. You almost got you me. little trickster you oh man uh yeah so basically god's point is like yeah no we're not you're not getting out of this i've offered you opportunities to escape this judgment multiple times you've never taken me up on it it's happening uh and then yahweh tells his people that they will be under the thumb of the king of babylon who oh sorry this is the passage where god calls him his servant so he says nebuchadnezzar my servant for the next 70 years yeah so i shouldn't say they won't be under babylon for 70 years they'll be under the the rule of foreign kings for 70 years. And then I believe, yeah, that's the 70 year mark is when Zerubbabel makes his first return from exile. I could be wrong on that listeners. Don't quote me. Just if I'm wrong on that, just, you know, chalk it But up just soundbite it. So that way Evan looks foolish. There you go. No, I'm just kidding. If you just take all of the times I've been wrong this year and just make a collage, there you go. It's like a bad lip read. Oh man. Uh, the rest of the chapter makes clear that it is not only Judah who will be suffering God's wrath, but it will also be the surrounding nations. So in, this is a theme that we see in a few of the prophetic books. Habakkuk comes to mind where the people are like, whoa, 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 this is happening to us. And God's like, no, my judgment's coming for everyone. But what's interesting about that is it's, Israel is included in the everyone. So they, they used to be set apart. It used to be that God's judgment was coming for everyone else. Um, but Israel, because they, they followed Yahweh, would be granted mercy. And now his point is, it's not, God is just, I guess is what I'm getting at. It's not that it's flipped. And now the other nations get mercy and Israel gets judgment. It's like, no, like you just don't get mercy anymore. Like my judgment's coming for everyone, but. And you're included. Yeah. And you're included. And you are part of that everyone. Here's your invitation. (laughs) Uh, Chapter 26 begins a long section detailing stories of Jeremiah being rejected by the people of Israel. So this is where we get into a lot of prose as opposed to poetry. Although Jeremiah's Um, prophecy is a lot of prose as well. I've noticed it's not full poetry like so many of the books, but this is where it it becomes pretty easy to read just because you're literally reading stories about what happened. Um, As you can imagine, the people of Israel weren't stoked about Jeremiah's message of inescapable destruction. Uh, So they threatened to execute him, but Ahiakam, the son of Shaphan, who was a a scribe, saves Jeremiah. Oh, thanks. Hey, way to go, man. Way to go. In chapter 27, Zedekiah, the king, and his council are meeting to see what to do about Babylon. So they're like, hey, you know, Babylon, they seem pretty They seem pretty intense. Should we form an alliance with them? Should we form an alliance with another nation? You know, how do we get out of this? And so, Jeremiah, I, I just, I love, listeners, if you're not driving, just close your eyes and just imagine, imagine this happening where like the king and his council, they're meeting about this, they're trying to figure out. And then Jeremiah just shows up in a yoke, which if you don't know what a yoke is, it's that big wooden thing that goes over an ox and then you attach like a plow to it or a yeah, cart to it. It's like the reins. Yeah. Kind of like a reins, but it's like bigger, like very cumbersome. Um, Jeremiah just busts in wearing that. <laughs> and then he's like... Yeah, he's like, oh yeah, like the way I'm yoked here, the way that this is happening, this is your, this is going to be your relationship with Nebuchadnezzar. You're going to be completely under his yoke as well. Um, as you can imagine, 
they weren't too stoked <laughs> about that as well. Uh, this probably only helped Jeremiah's popularity. Just yeah. kidding. Uh, so after this, we meet Hananiah, who is a false prophet. So not like the cool Hananiah that we meet in the book of Daniel. This is the bad Hananiah. And then I forgot which one Hananiah is because it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. One of them is Hananiah, right? Or am I completely wrong on that as well? Who knows? I'll come back to that later, maybe. Uh, I don't know. But Hananiah tells the people that the exile is only left. It's going to end after two years. He's like, dude, Jer- Jeremiah with his 70 years, come on, folks. It's going to be two years at worst. We're going to be just fine. And then he takes Jeremiah's yoke that he's wearing, and then he just breaks it apart. And he's like, yeah, see, I have broken Jeremiah's yoke as a symbol that he is the false prophet and I am the true prophet of God. Um, and so Yahweh responds. That's pretty brilliant by him. I'm not going to lie. Like, I mean, I he's guess. like, hey, let me, let me find a way to falsely encourage my people. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, I'm pretty sure he believed the case too. Like, oh yeah, I can, I can do. And he breaks it, which I think is like Maybe. pretty ingenious by him to show something. But... <laughs> Well, God, God does not. He does not share your admiration for Hannah. No, uh, no, I'm just saying it, it's pretty creative and pretty. You that's know? fair. That's fair. I mean, everyone loves. If I if I'm a false prophet, that's a brilliant move. If like, I'm loves, not, hopefully, like I'm not. I know I'm not. But um, anyways, everyone loves a good sermon illustration. I suppose is the more. I'm totally going to use that. No, I'm just kidding. So anyway. and you can come up on stage and break it. Ooh. So <laughs> Yahweh kidding. responds by having him by having Jeremiah make an iron yoke Dope. instead. So he comes back and he's like, Hey, you can't break this one. Take that. Also, P.S. Hananiah, you're gonna die before the year's <laughs> over. And then Hananiah dies a couple months later. I don't know why I'm laughing. It's Look. just it's just those moments like God's like, Okay, that's cute, Hananiah. Try this on. <laughs> yeah, try, try this iron yoke on for size. In chapter 29, we jump way forward. Where you said he promptly does. Hang on, sorry. You said the telling Hananiah he would die before the year is over, which he promptly does. Yeah, so Hananiah dies like two months later. Oh, okay, okay. Yep. Uh, in chapter 29, we jump way forward to after the sack of Jerusalem. So Jeremiah sends a letter to the exiles. It's kind of reminiscent of like an epistle, which I thought was kind of interesting, where he just essentially sends a letter of encouragement uh, to the people who are living in exile. Uh, kind of like I'm thinking of... James, which is written to the diaspora, right? Yeah. So that kind of, it kind of reminds me of that a little bit. Uh, and then here we see, this is where Jeremiah kind of has an upswing a little bit of like hope. There's it, hope, guys. Yes. Uh, yeah. It's essentially, it's the mercy that Yahweh promised to those in exile. So remember there's the good figs and the bad figs. And once, really once the destruction of Jerusalem has happened, we see that God is, you know, it's like, it's like when you're a kid and the spanking is over and now like, you know, it's it still hurts. Yeah. And it's still you're still bummed out. Maybe you're crying, but it's like you're the tone of the house has changed, and like you know you're just able to like kind of relax with your parents and everything. Like yeah. That the that's, consequence still is there, right? Yeah. I mean, and, that, and that's I mean it's true of my kids too. Like as a dad, the consequence happens. Timeout happens. Whatever you lose screens or whatever. Um, I think I've only spanked my kids once or twice because they've not pushed me that far to respond in that way. And to be honest with you, I don't think they'd respond well anyways. They don't like things getting taken away. Anyways, all that to say, punishment's over. I don't continue to carry heavy wrath or heavy punishment tone in how I respond. I now recognize consequence. Consequence is still there, but I'm loving, I'm gracious, I'm kind towards my kids. And so there, there is this aftermath of the punishment that consequence still is, is there, but the tone does change for sure. Mm-hmm. And so we get, yeah, as an example of the tone change, here's Jeremiah chapter 29. And this is the longest section we're going to read today, but it's uh, 14 verses. And it says this, and there's also going to be a really famous one. I was going to say, do you, are you quoting it? I am. All right. So Jeremiah, starting in uh, chapter 29, verse one, 
There are words, uh, these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after the king Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, the king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, it said. I really could have cut out those four, but you know, those three verses. But you know, you want the context. You want to know exactly who wrote this, who delivered it. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there, do not decrease. So pause really quick there. Essentially what God is saying is, hey, like you're not coming back quickly. Put down roots, like this is going to be your life for a long time. Mm -hmm. Like this is the way it's going to be. Um, but even there, the message is hopeful. You know yeah. what I mean? It's not like the message isn't like you will be in like under that yoke. Like the language he uses, hey, build lives for yourselves. Like be essentially kind of carry on as normal. Yeah. Essentially, like don't we'll yeah. have families, have yep. kids. Like no one does that if they're not going to be like. That's not fair, but true. But like it is. It's establishment of permanency. It's like develop a residence. Be where you are. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So after that, in verse seven, he says, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Um, I, sorry, I just love that verse as well. Just the idea of like, Hey, now that you're in Babylon and eventually this will be translated into Persia as well. Um, but pray for the people, pray mm -hmm. for the city, pray for your leadership. It's kind of this first glimpse that we're seeing of what is going to become a major Christian theme of like, it, for for most of Israel's history, they're living in a in a theocracy where it is it is one religion. There's a clear way that you're supposed to go, even if the kings don't um, abide by it. And so you're praying for that specifically. Whereas now they're praying for kings who do not worship Yahweh, but they're still praying for the welfare of the cities in which they're living. Well, and, and the illusion there is is you will prosper as the the city prospers, right? And and remember, this is Babylon. This is not this is not a good this is not a great people. <laughs> like, uh, this is a brutal people. So even God saying that this is my servant whom I've chosen, he's not a great guy. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but God is saying, listen, you want you want prosperity. You're going to be prosperous as you pray for the prosperity of the city and the prosperity of the of the of, of the kingdom. And and I think that that's it's so it's 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 challenging to think about because in essence, God is saying, as 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 the evil rulers prosper, it will trickle down to you. And you will be able to be prosperous as well. You will, your welfare will be good as that it will, it will increase with the increase of the evil king. Like there is, there's something interesting about this that I think is, is really profound and challenging to think about because we, we oftentimes dig our heels and well, I'm not going to pray for evil to prevail. I'm not going to pray for that, this, this leader and this organization, this, this governor or this president or this ruling authority because they're bad people. I they're didn't evil. vote for you. Oh, I'm not going to go there. Uh, but that, that, that's the tension, right? Like I'm not praying for them, but God is saying, listen, you're here where I have you. And it goes back to like Jeremiah's lament and complaint about uh, God, you, did you mess up? You messed up creating me when you created me. And God's like, no, no, I created you. My promises date farther back than your birth date. Like, uh, but God is saying, 
to Jeremiah, which I think carries over to today, not necessarily word or, 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 or promise for promise, right? Because this is for God and his people, establishing a people's own. But the truth still prevails. Like you are placed in a time in history for a reason. God has you here for this reason. Um, dare I use the phrase for such a time as this. Uh, but there is something to be said about like as we pray that God would would work in the hearts of of those who were opposed and and whether in in theology, whether in doctrine, whether in uh, practice or philosophy of life or whatever, like there is there is blessing that God calls us to to pray for for our country, for our nation, for our city, our state, whatever for the world we live in. And so I think that there's something significant there as well, where Jeremiah is being is telling his people, you will receive welfare as you pray for the welfare of of, of the ruler who has his yep. thumb on you, so to speak. So, which is, again, it's such a challenging paradigm to think about. So no, anyways, sure. that's yeah. a total side note, but. No, I love it. That's I, lo- I do. I love that verse too. Um, and it's, it's even reading it now, I'm like, oh, I got to remember that. <laughs> so. Well, continuing on in verse eight, it says, for thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Period. (laughs) Yep. Which, and it, it is kind of interesting. Well, sorry, we'll continue on here for a second. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. I'd never thought about until reading this, but like the who are the people that bring Israel back? They're not prophets. Nope. It's Zerubbabel and and Nehemiah who are political leaders yep. and Ezra who's a priest. None of them are prophets. So the prophets come, um, but Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi are not the people who lead the people of Israel and declare, yep. the, and declare the message that, hey, it's time, we're going back. They're the people who just go to Jerusalem and then they declare other messages of the Lord. So kind of, it, it is an interesting thing to think about that I never thought about before Yeah, that's this. a good thought. I don't know if I've thought about it either. So there you go. And then here we get to uh, here we get to the famous verse. Uh, so we'll go back to verse 10, where it says, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed in Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all of the nations and all of the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to this place for which I sent you into exile. So we always joke about how Jeremiah 29, 11 is one of the most misquoted verses of the Bible. It's also one of the most beautiful. It's just- used- I don't know about misquoted. I, I want like, misapplied. It's, yeah, it's, I think misapplied, misinterpreted is probably good because it's used in a type set of like you graduated high school, uh, you're starting a new career, or you're starting a new season of life. Like I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Like we use it as a a modern day prophetic promise for my future, right? Um, and we we forget the context. So I think it's misapplied, misinterpreted to to be relevant to me today when it's relevant to God's people. Yeah, and, and back in the day. And I think that the principle applies, but really what it's talking about is not that like, hey, everything in life is going to be great. Yeah, exactly. It's going it's it, what it's literally talking about is hey, this season is going to be really painful. You're going to have to sit down, you're going to have to live in a foreign land that's not going to be escapable, but I know that I have plans for you and your people and I will eventually bring you back and eventually things are going to I guess not return to normal, but they're going to um Israel is going to prosper again and live in Jerusalem mm-hmm. once more is kind of the point it's getting yeah. out. So I think I said last week that um, 
it's a very close parallel to Psalm 23, where it's even though I walk through yep. the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for you are with me. That is a little bit closer to what the point of Jeremiah 29, 11 yep. is. All right. So moving forward, uh, unfortunately, the false prophet problem was not solved by the exile. <laughs> so yeah, I, I thought this was interesting too. So Jeremiah, he writes to rebuke uh, Shemaiah over in Babylon. So basically what seems to have happened is Jeremiah sends this letter. And then one of the prophets who is in Babylon is like, oh, come on, this guy's full of garbage. And so Jeremiah like basically writes another letter to rebuke him. Um, chapter 30 kicks off. The final section we'll be reading today, and this is a promise from God to restore Israel and Judah. Um, it is also known as the Book of Consolation. So hmm. it's kind of like its own middle little mini section in the middle of Jeremiah. Um, and it's an important reminder that while the original covenant has been broken, uh, Yahweh will never abandon his people. And I think that's an important thing. Yeah, it's huge. Chapter 31 uh, continues that will continue that theme. Um, that there's a beautiful promise that God will turn His people's mourning into joy. Um, I love that. I just I don't know. I love that idea of yeah, like, the contrast. Yeah, just the idea of like the mourning of the people, the weeping and the crying as they are being driven out of their land, and God is saying, "I'm going to turn that into joy." Um, and then we get this interesting look ahead in Jeremiah chapter 31. It says, "Behold, the days are coming," declares the Lord, "when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband," declares the Lord. So again, there's that marriage. A metaphor that gets used a lot. And also I think it's this idea here where it's it's God telling the people of Israel, there's going to be a new covenant eventually. And it's going to be different. It's mm -hmm. not going to be like the old covenant was. And, and obviously that is very true. Yeah. Uh, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Which that, that last little refrain is probably my favorite um, sentence in the Bible because it comes up a bunch. Yeah. But I like my if if you if you put a gun to my head and said, Evan, what's the most beautiful chapter of the Bible? I would say, why are we why are we doing this at gunpoint? This is really weird. Um but after that I would say <laughs> I would say Revelation 21. Um but it's this whole idea and I love that it, it, the whole thing doesn't end with this, but I think that the the middle of that section is and he shall be their people and they will are yeah. and, and he shall be their God and they will be his people. Ah, I butchered it. But yeah it was it was a good moment until then. Ah, what are you gonna do? <laughs> Oh man. And then, and they shall, and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each to his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Man, I bet you something big is going to have to happen for, for something huge, something massive. Oh, I don't know. I've been using huge, huge a lot today, but anyways. Yes, something massive. All right. Well, in it's chapter coming. in chapter thirty-two, God commands Jeremiah to buy land in Judah, um, which seems nuts since the exile is imminent. So, but Yahweh is trying to show that there's still hope. But yeah, so eventually everyone's getting driven off to Babylon, and as this is happening, Jeremiah, I think it's his cousin. He goes to his cousin, like, "Hey, I, I want to buy this field from you," and his cousin's like, "All right, cool, man, thanks." And then he just buys like so it's a worthless piece of land. Um. Jeremiah questions God on this, but he's told basically to chill because God's in control. <laughs> it's obviously that's a big paraphrase, but yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure he used the 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 word chill in so Greek. Jeremiah, chill. It's gonna be fine. <laughs> I got it. All right. At the end of the chapter, we look forward to Revelation 21. So where Yahweh promises that. Okay, so I did put it in there. Where Yahweh promises that they shall be His people and He shall be their God. So that sentence comes up once more. And then finally, we end today's reading with chapter 33, which is a promise of peace for the people of Israel and a reminder that His covenant with David will last forever. Mm -hmm. So 
and you know, I bet you there's going to be someone who comes from the line of David who uh, makes a big deal out of that one. I'll take that bet. No, I'm just kidding. I was about to say stay tuned for later, but then I realized we've gone over two of the gospels already. So like, I've, but you know, we still got two more. So yes. I think we've two got, more coming. Is it Matthew and Luke? Luke? Yeah, we haven't done yet. All right. Yeah. Oh, that's true. The Christmas ones. Uh, obviously, one of those is going to be in December. All right. Hopefully. Hopefully. Okay, we keep. Can you, can you we, imagine? We keep saying that. If we have, I guess we should just look ahead and see where we're reading them. But anyway. Nope. We're gonna we're gonna be surprised when it happens. Just along with everybody else. Although, unless you're cheating and you look ahead on our behalf. Yeah. Don't but cheat, don't do listeners. Just stay with us. All right. So uh, we did have a question come in. So before we wrap up, we'll answer this one. So it says a bit of a weird one. Uh, but my son asked me this and I didn't have a good answer. So I figured those smart guys over on Let's Read the Bible could help. So. A.K. Evan. Yeah, good luck with that. No, I don't think we're going to help AKA at all. A.K. Evan. Uh, the crucifixion is really strange. Did God really sacrifice himself to himself? I didn't know quite how to answer it simply. Um, Wait, and it says, so, dot, 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 over to you, dot, over dot, to you. dot. No, okay. So this is, I remember wrestling with this as a kid for sure, because it is weird. So, and this is where I think there's a couple things that we have to get at. Um, number one, we are reminded time and time again in scripture that while God reveals himself to us, um, we do not get anything close to a full picture of who God is. And, and we cannot even hope to grasp a full understanding, even if like somehow that knowledge was kind of deposited into us, we would still not be able to grasp it on this side of eternity. So God, God, the way God exists, the way that God governs is so foreign to us because God is not human. God is not a uh, God is not a man who is in charge of the universe. He is he is God. He's Yahweh. He's eternal. So that's the first thing to realize is that a lot of those things simply just are never going to make sense to us. And I like uh, there was a oh, I forgot his name. It's Hugh Ross maybe, but he gave um, he gave an example of the Trinity, which I honestly have found the most helpful for me. Is and he uses the example of suppose for a moment that you lived. Uh, in a 2D world and that there was the only, you could only perceive two dimensions. It was impossible for you to perceive a third dimension. And then someone from outside the world dropped in three fingers and placed them directly into your world. You would see three different circles and it doesn't matter how much someone tried to explain to you, you would never be able to comprehend the idea that there's a third dimension and that those three circles are connected in a way that we don't know. All you would see is that, um, which might not sound very helpful, but for me, it kind of just gave <laughs> what it did is it gave me the freedom to say, Oh, Okay. I do not understand the Trinity and I never will. And that's kind of just the, that, and that's just mm-hmm. the, that's the long and the short of it. I do not understand the way that God exists and I, and I won't on this side of eternity in heaven, obviously we'll have a, we'll have a more full understanding of that, but it's just something that we cannot grasp. So all that to say, God exists eternally in three persons. There's the father, the son, and the spirit. And while they are separate persons, they are also the same God. I don't know how it works, but that's how it works. The second thing to say is that God is just, but he's also merciful. And mm-hmm. and we see tension is the wrong word, but we see those two things at play all the time where God is willing to forgive, but it often does require some type of sacrifice. Um, and it's God's sense of justice that requires sacrifice in order for something like that to happen. But it's also God's mercy that the sacrifice that is required is not of us, but it's of him. So God is willing to pay the price that he feels needs to be paid. And I shouldn't say he feels the price that needs to be paid because we 
our morality comes from God. So if God thinks it, then that is good. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If, if, if it's God's character, it is good. So because, because God requires sacrifice for something like this to happen, that means that it is the way it needs to be because Yahweh, God, is the creator of the universe. He orders and structures the universe. That means that that is the truth, even if we don't fully understand it. Because it, again, it doesn't make sense in our heads to be like, well, I can just forgive someone. I don't have to require mm-hmm. sacrifice but I would also say that that's because God already paid the ultimate sacrifice. The reason we can forgive and not require something of that person is because God already paid their price, just like he paid our price mm-hmm. on the cross. So it's a little complicated. And I guess it also raises the the important point that God's morality for us is different from our morality to each other. And so the way that God treats us is is not the same that we treat each other. We treat each other, we treat our fellow humans, we treat in the light of how God has treated us. So we don't go around and say like, hey, this is going to require a sacrifice in mm-hmm. order to happen. No, we say like, hey, because God loves us, because God has already paid the price, I require nothing of you, I forgive you. Yeah, It's kind of the proper stance there. Um, and so this, the, and I feel like we're just kind of, I feel like I'm just kind of stumbling over words here because it is a really complicated yeah. question. But at the end of the day, here's, I guess, the, as simply as I can put it, God is just and God is merciful and God's character will not allow him to be one without the other. And so the way that God chose to bring those two things together was to offer the most incredible mercy in the history of humanity and at the same time require the deepest sacrifice and act of justice in order to make that happen. So just as the universal offer of salvation to all humanity is the most incredible act of mercy, so also the sacrifice of God himself is the most incredible act of justice. Yeah. And in in order to facilitate that act of mercy. So that's how I would describe it. It's it's a hard question. Um and it's not one that has a, a simple answer. So yeah. yeah, you say I didn't know how to answer it simply. Neither do we. <laughs> like there has to be there has to be a very long drawn yeah. out explanation. Hopefully that helps Aaron. I don't know if you have anything you want to add there. No, I I I think I think you're right, man. It is such a deep, um, wandering uh, attempt to try and wrestle through a very simple answer. Um, I think the thing that I would also remind you uh, and remind us that the the idea of God sacrificing his son, Jesus, uh, who was fully God, but fully man, um, Philippians is very clear that God gave up divinity or Jesus gave up divinity when he became human. Um, and so he exists much like Evan was saying in the Trinity outside of our comprehension. Our, our, we, we can only understand in part, which is also very scriptural. We can only understand in part. And so outside of, of, of our limitation, there is a way that this works and it makes sense. But in order for God to redeem humanity, like he planned all along, there had to be a once and for all sacrifice. And he knew that we as broken sinful humans could not cover the gap. We could put a bandaid on the problem of sin for so long with sacrifices to animals, but he knew in order to redeem in its entirety, 
all of humanity, it would require one perfect sacrifice. And he also knew that there was nobody on earth that could handle it except unless he stepped down. So in theory or in simplistic terms, yes, God sacrificed himself because Jesus was fully man, but Jesus or fully God, but Jesus was also fully man. So God sacrificed his son, the visible representation of him to humans. He sacrificed himself to redeem humanity. And, and to be and to be even more transparent and clear, like the crucifixion is absolutely strange and weird because it's never been used at the times of the prophetic utterings in the Old Testament about how Jesus was going to die. The crucifixion was the method that was used in ancient times that was foretold of long before it actually came to pass, before it ever became a thing. And, and so there is this reality of the crucifixion's weird in and of itself. We understand because we've seen, we've, we've gone through history long enough now we can look back and understand it. But when Jesus laid his life down, the intent and the purpose was redemption of humanity because humanity could not cover it. And we see allusions to this in the Old Testament with the covenant God makes between, I think it was Abraham, where he put Abraham to sleep. And, and this covenant that he was made where they cut, you cut two, an animal in half and the blood trickles down into a trough and you sign this massive covenant and promise that you both are held to and obligated to by walking through the blood that he puts Abraham to sleep and he himself walks through because he puts the weight of the covenant on himself. He understood that we couldn't cover, we couldn't fulfill the obligation. So Jesus put it on himself. Um, so all of that to say, it, it, it is a very complicated endeavor. It is a very complicated thing. But at the end of the day, God sent his son, which is the fullest expression and, and visible. I think it's, is, is it Romans that said he was the visible expression of the invisible God? It's in Romans somewhere. I don't know. But, I, but I think Romans is, one, is, is, is the book that talks about that. But the truth of the matter is that Jesus is the full representation. Philippians is also very clear. He gave up divinity. So he walked among us fully man. Um, as well as having access to, to his divinity, but he gave it up so that he could be that perfect spotless sacrifice so we would be drawn in. So it is like, yes, in, in, in overly simplistic terms, that, that statement of he sacrificed himself works, but we can't take that at face value because there's so much more depth to it. And so we have to understand how the Trinity works to the best we can, which then helps us understand the difference between God and Jesus as the Son, and then also the Holy Spirit as another layer to it too. So there's a whole lot of nuances to it. Um, but I'm glad that there's a question being asked because I think it's worth asking. Oh, yeah. um, and I hope that help, that helped make a little bit of sense. Um, but it's understanding the, 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 the yes and no of the Trinity, if that makes sense, as far as the persons and similarity, the, the unity and the, the, the difference that exists there. Like Aaron said, hopefully that was a little, hopefully <laughs> yeah. that was a little helpful. Hopefully we didn't muddy the waters more. Uh, the, yeah, the reason it's a hard answer to, uh, the reason you couldn't answer it simply is because there's not really a simple answer to it. It's a really long, complicated true. question. Uh, well, that does wrap it up for this week's episode of Let's Read the Bible. Um, as a reminder, we are a podcast of The Grove Church, but we're not the only resource of The Grove Church. You can find all of our other resources on our website, grove.church, under the media page. Um, and if this podcast has been a blessing to you and you'd like to financially contribute to the ministry that The Grove Church does, you can also do that on our website. There's a give button in the upper right-hand corner. And hey, thank you all so much for listening. Have a great day.